0: Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary, I'm Father Reed. This week we are going to look at daily lectionary readings from proper 12. Remember we are in the season of Pentecost and we are right in the middle of of it and we are going to be studying scriptures from the Old Testament beginning with Joshua 24, one of the best chapters in the Old Testament. It's a very, very important chapter. Then we're going to follow that with the book of Judges. We're going to look at Judges chapter 2 chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Now, what's happening in Judges is we are going to have the division of the land that Joshua took over, that God promised the people of Israel, and it's going to be divided by the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember the 12 sons? Okay, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons. And they're going to divide the land and rule. That's very important. All right. And again, Judges is a history book, much like Joshua. Then we will finish the book of Romans in chapter 16. We have one more chapter to go. We were working on 15 last week. And we are going to start in the book of Acts. And it's going to run for many, many weeks. The book of Acts. So I believe Acts has 28 chapters. Yes, it does. So we're going to be in Acts for a long time. And I hope that you will enjoy the book of Acts particularly if you have never read it before and stay with us on it. We're going to be going through the book of Acts together. Then finally, we'll finish with the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus as we finish in Matthew 27 and 28. So in our gospel reading, we're working all the way through the book of Matthew. Well, let's jump right in. Now, remember I made mention last week of geography and maps at the back of your Bible. And depending on what kind of Bible you have and how elaborate it is, many of them have just wonderful maps so that you can see where all of these places are, particularly if these are names that you're not familiar with. Chapter 24, verse 1, Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. So you would look up Shechem and see where that is on your map. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So this is kind of like his last will and testament. He is speaking to them. So chapter 24 is a fantastic summation of what Joshua went through. And Joshua is just a tremendous character. Now, remember in one of the previous uh, lectures, I said that Joshua means, in Hebrew, Yahweh is salvation. And that's actually Jesus' name. Yeshua, Yeshua, okay? And so it's a very, very important name. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, verse two, long ago, your fathers. And now he starts from the very beginning, starting with Abraham. And I took your father in verse three. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac. I gave Jacob in verse four. And then I sent Moses and Aaron. So what he's doing for us, which is wonderful, he's given us the history of Israel. He's given us a history up until his time, okay? Verse 11, then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. Remember Jericho? And the citizens of Jericho fought against you. And these different groups and tribes that are present in Israel, we have the Amorites, the Perizzites, we have the Canaanites, we have the Hittites, the Gergashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. The Jebusites were around Jerusalem but I gave them into your hands. I took care of them. Remember, I said the Lord was gonna fight for you. The Lord's gonna fight for you. I'm gonna give them into your hands. Now, if you looked at it objectively and historically and from a military position, it would look like the people of Israel had a better army than the um, groups that they conquered. But that would not be true from an Old Testament perspective. What is true from the Old Testament perspective is that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, had a significant hand in destroying the enemies of Israel. So he concludes by, he says, I gave you the land, verse 13, of which you did not toil and cities which you did not build. You live in them and eat their vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. This is one of my favorite verses. Verse 14. Now, what are you going to do? Fear the Lord. Where have you heard that before? (laughs) You've heard that for, for a while. Fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. Where have you heard that before? Then he says in 15, Now if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What are you going to do? Here's what God has done. Let me give you a litany of what he has done. I've looked at all this information. We are going to serve the Lord. What are you going to do? And then the people reply. And he says in verse 19, he's a holy God. And so in verse 25, and I want you to read this. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. So I want you to read this carefully. On that day, Joshua made a covenant. And here at Shechem, he drew up their decrees and laws. And then he says about a stone in verse 27. This will be a stone. Will be, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words of the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God." So you are true to God, you're untrue. Here's what's gonna happen if you're untrue. Here's gonna, what's gonna happen if you fear the Lord, if you trust the Lord, if you are true to them. And so he sends the people away and he passes away. So at the end of Joshua, the great, great, great leader Joshua uh, passes away. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. So a very mighty man of God. Well, chapter 2 of Judges is an amazing chapter. Chapter 2, if you think, chapter 2 of Judges, are you kidding me? How could that be any good? Well, after Joshua dismissed the Israelites in verse 6, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. So tribe of Benjamin tribe of Asher, tribe of Judah, et cetera, okay? But then the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up, verse 10, who did not know the Lord and did not know what he had done for Israel. So this great generation passed away. The new generation comes on, they didn't know the Lord, and the Israelites did what is evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. How often does that happen in human history? That you have a very godly group of people, and then slowly but surely, it just ebbs away and falls away. And then you have a generation that doesn't know the Lord at all, and then they sin against the Lord. And they provokes the Lord to anger, verse 12 and 13, because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. So when Israel went out to fight, remember I talked about that last week in verse 15, he says, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. So instead of God being for them and helping them in their battles, he was actually working against them and they had no chance. So it says at the end of, the Bible says at the end of 15, they were in great distress. They were totally had no chance. When the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, when the first person of the Holy Trinity is working against you, you have no future. You have no hope. And that came about because of their profound disobedience against the Lord in their worship and in their actions. They had no knowledge of God. Now, the Lord was good because if he had not done anything, they would have been totally wiped out and that would have been the end. No Messiah, nothing. But he, obviously he can't have that happen. So what he does is he raises up judges, verse 16, who saves them out of the house of the raiders. So verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge, he allowed the judge to live. The Lord had compassion on them as they groaned unto those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways more corrupt than those of their fathers. They didn't learn anything. Isn't that amazing? following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refuse to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways. Is that that anything changed? Anything changed for today? Hmm. The Lord raises up leaders. The Lord raises up preachers and teachers. The Lord raises up pastors. The Lord raises up people that are sharing the word of the Lord. The people do not listen. The people do not obey the Lord. The people do not take those words and they suffer significant and serious consequences. The Lord has compassion on us by sending us these people so that we will wake up from our sin and our rebellion against God. And when we do that, we are blessed. When we don't do that, we are cursed. And so, when you, chapter, chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2, is a very, very, very important chapter. So, as you read through uh, these scriptures that are set for this week. You see Judges chapter 3, 12 through 20. And what we're going to see in the rest of the readings for the week are the judges that have been raised up and the story behind them being victorious in saving the Israelites or that section that they are responsible for, whether it's the tribe of Benjamin or the tribe of Asher, Sebulon, uh, Judah, et cetera. Okay? And in chapter 3, it's about Ehud. In chapter 4, it's about a lady named Deborah. Look what he says in verse 9. I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulon and Naphtali, Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah was also with him. So this tells us the story of Deborah. It tells us the story of the adversary to Deborah and how God rescued them. It's a, this chapter, chapter four, is crazy. It's it's wild in terms of what happens here. And um, I won't I won't uh, give you the uh, bottom line to it, but read it. You'll enjoy. It. You'll enjoy the reading, and might even be surprised by it. In chapter 5, we have the song of Deborah. Remember, we had this wonderful uh, song to God after they crossed the Red Sea and the um, Egyptians were destroyed. Remember that? In um, Exodus. Uh, And we have a joyful celebration uh, of God doing great things. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. That's verse 2 of chapter 5. So, Deborah is is sharing the joy that she has with God and his victory in giving them deliverance. Great response to God's working. In the second half of that chapter, of chapter 5, she recounts, as we saw Joshua do in chapter 24 of Joshua, all the great things that God had done and how he had done this and how he had done that. And so she recounts the event. So I think you're going to enjoy chapter 4 and chapter 5 very, very much. Look at the last verse before the, uh, at the end. Then the land had peace for 40 years. So the people rebelled against God. God raised up a judge that is a person who is going to come and lead them out of their bondage. And as long as the Lord was blessing that judge and as long as the people obeyed the Lord through that judge, the people prospered, the judge prospered, the land prospered. When the judge passed away or the judge was no longer in service, the people returned to their sinful ways and they suffered. They cried out for help. And God helped him and raised up another judge. You're going to see that throughout the book of Judges. It's quite fascinating. Romans chapter 16. Back to Romans. As I said, a magisterial, extraordinary book, the book of Romans. If you have not read it before, I'm glad you're joining us for this reading. This is why this is so important. And so he has personal greetings. You can see that in your Bible in verses 1 through 16 greet those, greet those, greet those, greet this church, greet, etc. So a beautiful way of Paul being very grateful for all the people that have supported him and all the ways that God has ministered through him and the churches that have been raised up and the people that have been raised up. Um, Paul is grateful. The second half of chapter 16 is um, scriptures that people don't know very well, but I found them to be very, very good. Verse 17, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. We are certainly experiencing that in our world today, in our Christian world today. People having contrary teachings, and Paul actually speaks out very strongly about that. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people, verse 18. Okay? And then he says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Verse 25, kind of a doxology. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, that's where you want to be established in your life, by the gospel of Christ. And proclamation of Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. I'm now making this known to you, and the way I'm making it known to you is by revelation. Without revelation, nobody knows anything. You can read words on the page, but you don't know what they mean. So that all nations might believe and obey him. So we have belief and obedience. It's not enough to believe. Got to do the second part, obey. And you can't obey without belief, obviously. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. There's the doxology, amen. So that's how he concludes this great book, 16. But um, we see in the second half of 16 some really good theological ideas and truths. And I hope and pray that you'll enjoy that and read that very carefully. The book of Acts comes uh, before the book of Romans and after the book of John. And is the Acts of the Apostles, as I said earlier, Over 28 chapters, 28 chapters. And we're going to start with Paul in the ninth chapter. But there's some things that happen in the early chapters, mostly with Peter, that we take in the earlier chapters. And we pick up Paul in the ninth chapter, and Paul then goes all the way through chapter 28. So in chapter uh, 1, 1 to 14, we have Luke writing this, much like he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And we have Jesus speaking. And says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. And you're going to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, it's not, uh, he says, Lord, when is this going to happen? When are you going to restore Israel? It's not for you to know the dates of the times the father is set by his own authority, verse 8. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay, so this is not about everybody getting saved and going and doing what they want to do. This is about people saying yes to Christ and then being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. Matthias is chosen to replace Judas. Remember Judas hung himself after he turned Jesus in. And so they chose lots and Matthias was chosen. Actually the first church I went to out of seminary uh, in the early nineties was Saint Matthias. Saint Matthias. So I know what Saint Matthias is. He was, he took Judas's place. Well, in chapter two, we have the very famous coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now you know what Pentecost is because I've made lots of references to the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down, the waiting in the upper room, just as Jesus told them to do. And tremendous things happened. It's a tremendous transformation. Peter addresses the crowd, as you'll see. You have the scripture reading from Acts 2, 20, 2 1 to 21, where he addresses the crowd. He gives them some scriptures for the Old Testament to show them what has happened. And then two twenty two to 36, they ask, what should we do in response to this extraordinary uh, sermon that Peter gives them and has many Old Testament texts that he shares with him to tie in what God is doing at that day of Pentecost with what he said in the past. He says, repent and be baptized, verse 38, every one of you. Every one of you in the name of Christ. So what Peter's going to do in this brilliant sermon is he's going to share who Jesus is and what God is doing. He's going to talk about his resurrection. He's going to quote some Old Testament scriptures. He's going to say in verse 32, for example, that God has raised him, God has raised Jesus to life. We are witnesses of this fact. He's exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He's poured out on what you now see and hear. So this is the first great sermon uh, of the early church after Jesus' resurrection. So in Acts chapter 1, he is. He speaks. Remember he's here only 40 days. He ascends into heaven. They wait for the gift of the Father, the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. They're now empowered and they're now going to be witnesses. Matthew chapter 27. where we left Jesus uh, in uh, we left Jesus in 27:23, we have a situation in 27, 23 where, Jesus appears before Pilate, Jesus appears before Pilate, and uh, the people say, we want to kill him, we are supporting the crucifixion of Christ, and so he hands them over, and the soldiers mock him, they take him to Golgotha, and as you'll see in your Bible, in verses 32 to 44, we see the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Christ. They crucified him. They divided up his clothes. Verse 35, they cast lots. They placed a placard. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified, one on the right, one on the left. He was mocked. He was jeered. Horrible situation. The robbers heaped insults on him. From the ninth hour, sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. In verse 45, Jesus cries out in a loud voice in verse 50 and he dies. The temple, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom in verse 51, the rock split. The centurion says surely he was the son of God. Many were, men, women were there watching at a distance. His own mother was there. In verse 57, we are now going to bury Jesus. A rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a disciple of Jesus, went to Pilate himself. He asked him for the body, and Pilate said yes. He took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in a new tomb. New tomb. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Now, if he had not done that, they'd have just thrown him in there with everybody else. So God moved upon Joseph of Arimathea and even Pilate so that Jesus' body could be properly taken care of and he was put in a new tomb. Now here's an interesting thing. They placed a guard at the tomb. Mark and Luke and John don't tell us this. Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Oh, so they heard him say that. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body, which some people actually believe happened, and tell the people he had been raised from the dead. So Pilate said, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Now, you've got the Roman army. In about 30 AD, there's no possible way anyone was going to be able to break through this Roman guard. No, no way at all. None. So they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, this was serious business. If something happened in a negative way and somebody got in there, everybody would be executed. So there's a seal. There's a guard. He's in a tomb. The disciples are scared to death. They're in their homes. Nobody's coming for Jesus. He's dead. Chapter 28. We have the resurrection of Christ as you read through this extraordinary miracle. It's never happened before or since, folks. No one's ever risen from the dead and then did not die. Okay? Only Jesus resurrected from the dead. The angel says to the women who went there early in the morning on Sunday morning to take care of his anointing, to take care of his linens to give him a proper burial, if you will, to prepare his body, because they had to do it very quickly. They had to take him down from the cross because the Sabbath was coming. They had to take him down from the cross very quickly, okay? Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen. And so the women went away from the tomb. Jesus actually meets them, verse 9. They came to him, clasped his feet. Isn't this amazing? Worshipped him. Do not be afraid, Jesus says in verse 10, go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee. And then we have the guards report where they, they obviously have a big problem with this. His disciples came during the night and stole his body. So they lied. Talk about a cover-up, a great cover-up. Speaking of cover-ups, there is a great cover-up you see in Matthew's gospel. And then we have verses 18, 19, and 20. Very, very famous verses at the end of Matthew. Jesus says... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Trinity, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. So he sends them out. Now, remember, we just read Acts chapter 1. So they're going to wait for the Holy Spirit, who's going to, again, empower them to do this ministry. But these are the words of Jesus. This is his closing words before he ascends into heaven. We know he ascends into the heaven at the end of Luke. There's a scripture in Mark. And there's, of course, the scripture in Acts. And so we have this incredible situation in Matthew 26 and 27 of the death of Christ and his complete abandonment just about by everyone except his mother and a few women and John. And then we have his death, we have his burial, we have the Roman guard, and then miraculously the angel There was a violent earthquake. The angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled the stone, sat on it. The guards were so afraid they shook and became like dead men. I'll bet. And then we had the resurrection of Christ. He's around for 40 days. He ascends into heaven, Acts chapter 1 again. And they are now commissioned to go out. The Holy Spirit in Acts is going to embolden them and enliven them and come alongside of them and empower them. And we're going to spend many weeks uh, with the Daily Lectionary looking at the book of Acts and their exploits. Going back to Judges, we see the mercy of God and the compassion of God, how he raised up Judges. If he had not done that, the people would have dissipated. They, They would have gone into oblivion. But he couldn't do that because he had to raise the Messiah so that this Messiah could die for us in chapter 27 of Matthew. It amazingly all ties in together. Well, I hope you enjoy your reading. I hope this was a helpful time of just going over the scriptures, encouraging us in the scriptures, asking God to bless you in the scriptures. Next week, we'll look at proper 13. Have a wonderful week of reading and of prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit. God bless you.